Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Focus on Albany. I'm Cynthia Poole. My guest today is former New York State Democratic Chairman John Sullivan. And John took a little bit of a break from politics to write a book about music in the 60s. So, John, uh, first of all, what's the name of your book? Well, this is my fourth book, actually, Cynthia, and it's called The Live 25 in Hi-Fi Jive. And if that doesn't date you back to the 60s, nothing will. (laughs) What made you think of writing this book? Well, you know, I've, um, first of all, and I think this will be of interest to all of your listeners, it is so much easier today to publish a book than it ever was. There are all of these different self-publishing tools and websites, and the one that I've used for this particular endeavor is Amazon's Kindle. Um, I actually have written, as I said, four books. This is the fourth. And the first three books, I had to pay a publisher fee to help have them help me organize it, et cetera, in the several thousands of dollars. But now you can go on Kindle and you can publish your own book, get an ISBN number, uh, uh, catalog, uh, Congress catalog number for free. Uh, there's no, no charge at all. And then you can set the amount that you want to sell your book at. For example, this book is in two formats. Kindle, uh, which is an ebook format, and I put the price at three ninety nine for that, and then paperback, which is I think eight ninety nine, and you can go go on Amazon.com, type in Live twenty five and Hi Fi Jive, that should bring it up, but if not, add my name John Sullivan to it, and it will. So it is so easy today for people to actually write a book get the book published. And so uh, in my retirement uh, years, I've been doing a fair amount of writing. Well, I've always done, you know, quite a bit of writing. Let me me ask you this, John. Once it's published on Amazon and it's in hard copy, does Amazon uh, distribute it if somebody wants to buy it? Will they they mail them a copy of the book? Yeah, you can go right online. You can purchase it for download at $3.99 right now. Or you could order it and uh, take a day or two. I have what's called Amazon um, Prime. So they give you cut rates on mailing stuff to you. But a matter of a day or two, and you'll have the paperback in your hands. In any event, but, but, I, I I'm sorry, go ahead. Let's say fifty thousand people want it. Would yep. they mail it to fifty thousand people? They would. Yep. The they would. Uh, I mean it, it's yeah, it's uh I don't really know the ins and outs of the industry except that it's a um a file that is you know, a, a an electronic file that once you ordered it, order it, it gets printed and then sent. I don't think they, they pre-print a group of books unless 
They may if there's, you know, a, a high demand. <clears throat> Excuse me. I my my first well the first book I wrote was called Forks in the Road, which is a compilation of a bunch of uh, uh, articles I wrote in the local newspaper, kind of pre-eulogy eulogies for leading lights in the community. Tell a lot of stories about them, mention a lot of names, and and people love that kind of stuff. And I called it Forks in the Road because that's the neighborhood I grew up in, which is kind of a blue-collar neighborhood. I still write that column once a month. I now have something like, God, 88 columns, I think, under my belt. So the first 26 columns I organized into a compendium of a book and called it Forks in the Road. The second book Mm -hmm. that I wrote was my autobiography, which is called Pee Not Your Pants, Memoirs of a Small Town Mayor with Big Time Ideas. That chronicles mm-hmm. my, my experience in politics and government, New York State, etc. But there wasn't really enough room in that book to include all the chapters that I wanted to include. So this book, it's a, it's a short book, and it's basically kind of a, an appendix or a continuum of the autobiography. But it, it goes beyond just me and talks about radio in the 1960s, what it was like to be a disc jockey, how I came to be a disc jockey, how music and, and uh, radio have, have changed so dramatically through the years. And um, so it's, it's a nice, easy read. And um, I think people, particularly the baby boomer generation, w- would be interested. And in this book, I've done something a little bit different. I call it the... Uh, book with a soundtrack (laughs) because all you have to do today, if you have either an Apple device with Siri and Apple music, or if you have a, um, um, I don't want to say the word too loud because she'll hear me. Um, Alexa, (laughs) you say (laughs) Alexa, and then you say, play a certain song. Well, there she is. She she heard me. (laughs) All right, Alexa, stop. (laughs) But, you know, that's how easy it is today to, if you think of any song in in your memory and you know the name of the song, you can usually get her to pull it up. Or if you have the artist, you can get her to pull it up. So, and throughout the text of the book, I go back, I start in 1960 and 61. And Mm -hmm. uh, I mentioned several different songs like the Shirelles. This is dedicated to the one I love. So I I put a little note and say, ask Siri or ask A-L-E-X-A to play the song. (laughs) (laughs) So, Uh (coughs) excuse me, as you read along, you can play the soundtrack with your read. So I I think that's kind of a unique uh, experience and it really will be like a walk through the 1960s, early 1960s. And you know, I was uh, I was 14 years old when I decided that I wanted to uh, I wanted to have a radio program because back in those days, the local radio stations for the much for, for the most part didn't play rock and roll. They played middle of the road music, kind of. Most of the radio stations. Uh, back in the day, were in communities, any community of, say, 5,000 or more, 
pretty much had its own radio station, an AM daytime local radio station, meaning that they would broadcast from dawn to dusk. And uh, so they were called daytime AM radio stations, usually with a wattage output of about a thousand watts. At night, they would be off the air because at night, AM radio is such that it's uh, it's called amplitude mod amplitude modulation, I think, and it, it mm-hmm. uh, broadcasts from the tower in a circular fashion, so that you know those tower radio towers you see, most right. of them from the beam of the top of the is, is a circular motion, so half of it is lost in the atmosphere. <coughs> Excuse me, but at night. And when the atmosphere cools, the signal then bounces off the ionosphere and comes back to Earth. So if you had a radio station, even a 1,000-watt radio station on at night, and it was broadcasting, it would bounce back to Earth, and there would be just confusion because so many of these radio stations would be, they would be conflicting. Uh, So they had what they called back in those days clear channel radios, 50,000-watt stations that at night you could pick up. (coughs) Excuse me. So I would listen, for example, I listened all the time to WBZ in Boston, WLS in Chicago, WKBW in Buffalo, all the 50,000-watt clear channel stations. But the 1,000-watt daytime stations were really pretty local and and so I, as a freshman in, in high school, wanted to have a local uh, radio program that featured the emerging music of the day, which was rock and roll, and also mm-hmm. allowed for call-in dedications. Did you ever call in a radio station to dedicate a song to somebody? Or did anyone ever you know, you know, dedicate a song to you? No. Oh my gosh. Well, see, you lived in a more urban area, I think. But in I a small in town. Queens at that point. Well, Queens is a is a much more urban area than Oswego. Right. Uh, but you could call the local radio station and say, "I'd like to play uh, Crazy" by Patsy Cline, and send it out to my right. girlfriend Patsy. And then the radio announcer would come out and say, now here's a dedication from Cynthia Pooler to Joe Doakes, uh, Patsy Klein. But that involved you calling the radio station, the disc jockey then going into another room, standing on a stool, grabbing the album or maybe 45 off the shelf, coming back, queuing it up on a turntable, playing it and dedicating it. Today Mm -hmm. is instantaneous. Right. Excuse me, I'm sorry. Today, you know, we can just immediately ask really for anything, and it's there. Well, it sure was not that way back then. But it, it formed a bond between the announcer and the, and the listener because you were very wound up in what was going to happen next, who else was uh, having a song dedicated and by whom, and it was almost like teenage love um, on full display <laughs> on the radio, and it became mm-hmm. radio became a very very important and um, 
very successful medium, particularly for young people. So back to my story. At 14, I said, I want to be an announcer and I want to have a program and I want to go on Saturday morning and play for two hours, play rock and roll and have high school kids call up and, and dedicate songs to one another. And we'll play the top 25 records in a two hour period on Saturday morning. And that worked out just about right because most, most records in those days were two, two and a half minutes. And so I, I published each week a list of the top 25 songs and put it locally in the uh, Freddy's Hi-Fi uh, store. It was a records, record shop, so that would be listed in the window. And then we would play the top 25 records, starting the countdown from 25 to 1. So anyway, in order for me to prepare to be the announcer for that program, I had to, I thought, develop what's called general American speech, like Walter Cronkite. You know, you listen to Walter Cronkite, you couldn't tell if he was from Oshkosh, Wisconsin, Syracuse, New York, or Kentucky, you know, because he he spoke what is called general American speech. So I tried to divorce myself of any regional colloquialism in my accent and, and, learn general American speech. And I literally would sit there with a long sack tape recorder, reading the newspaper into the tape recorder and trying to uh, not have any regional intonation in my voice. Now, because I grew up in the Syracuse area and today people in Syracuse, Rochester, maybe too, have kind of a flat a accent, hat, can, Mm -hmm. rat, Syracuse, you know, it's, it's a, you can tell when somebody's from that part of the state uh, when you, you hear this flat A. I don't have that, and I haven't since I was 14 years of age because I literally consciously strove to rid myself of the flat A regional colloquialism so I, wow. I could then become an announcer, <laughs> and I did. Mm-hmm. And I went in to uh, the local manager of the station at the time was called WOSC. It was Oswego Fulton. They had a studio in downtown Oswego overlooking the bridge with a window overlooking the the street so that people could drive by in their cars and see you as the disc jockey in the window. And people would honk their horns and you could wave to them. (laughs) Anyway, so I, I asked the manager if he would put me on the air explained my idea about you know, top 25 teenage program. And uh, he said, well, if you can get me five sponsors, I'll consider it. I thought, hmm, well, how much a week would I have to get the sponsors to pay? Back in those days, a one-minute commercial used to cost $3. So I did go out downtown, door-to-door, selling my program, and I came back the next week with five sponsors at $5 a week. And he said, okay, you're on the air. So started the program, I think it was, yeah. I think he dismissed me thinking I couldn't get sponsors, but I did. So the first week we were on the air was May of 1961, and I looked it up, and the number one uh, hit song of that period was a song by Ernie K. Doe 
called Mother-in-Law. Do you remember that? I remember that. Mother-in-law, mother-in-law. <laughs> I, <laughs> I used to, I used to listen to that song, and I thought, "What is he saying?" I thought it was "Featherly Love." Featherly <laughs> Love. <laughs> so, anyway, that is in the book, and so many of the great songs in our baby boomer years came out 1960, 61, mm-hmm. 62. Uh, that uh, it, the book is filled full with full of references to uh, you know songs from that that particular era. So you know, more or less, you were in your heyday before the British invasion, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess heyday was probably a good description of it. Yeah, you know, I okay. mean, I. Um, I did actually. I used the talents that I developed as an announcer uh, in my later career as an attorney and and as a politician. Um, funny at the time, uh, Cynthia, I I thought it was unique uh, in that I was not only a radio announcer on the weekend, but I was a paper boy during the week at a six day a week paper route. Mm-hmm. So I wrote into What's My Line. Remember that program? Yeah. It was a John Daly, and uh, yeah, I thought, well, maybe that'd be good. They'd put me on what's my line because you know, how many teenage disc jockey paper boys are there out there? <laughs> well, I don't know how many there were, but they never put me on, so I couldn't have been that unique. But uh, yeah. but I learned a great deal by being an announcer. By as as time went on, I became. Um, a, new, a news announcer for the radio station. I then worked for another radio station locally. I went back and forth between two local stations uh, several times. And, uh, you know, you, you, you learn a great deal. I'll never forget when I was working for WSGO, which is the, the other local station. <coughs> Excuse me. They had a talk show called... Uh, open mic and it was like many of these programs today but you call in and whatever the topic of the of the day was you could discuss it or complain or you know whatever and the host would facilitate the caller calling in and and mm-hmm. uh, would banter back and forth but did not take a position on issues because you weren't supposed to back then Due to the fairness doctrine, remember that? Mm-hmm. Where you had to present both sides of an issue? That went out in the Reagan right. years. So anyway, I was I was being a substitute host one morning of this open mic program, and I think the topic was whether there should be or should not be a dog leash law in the city of Oswego. And that's, again, it's got to be early 1960s. So I'm listening to people, and then I start giving my opinion. Well, Mr. Harris, who was the owner of the radio station, came into the control room, pointed at me while I was on the air talking, and went like, go to commercial, go to commercial. So, I, okay, so I hit the button, played the cartridge of the commercial, and he said to me, don't you ever give your opinion on this program. This wow. is a program for the listeners to give their opinion, not you. You are a moderator. Do you understand me? Yes, sir, I do. Yes. Wow. 
that has stuck with me all these years. And then you think today, with since the Fairness Doctrine is no longer around, we have the likes of Rush Limbaugh and mm-hmm. Glenn Beck and all of these other people who, um, two sides be damned. It's it's a my way or the highway. That would right. not have been possible in 1962. So I I personally I think our political um, world started to go to, to hell in a handbasket with the repeal of the fairness doctrine. But that's a whole other subject. <laughs> anyway, Cynthia, yeah. uh, I, I would encourage people who particularly have, you know, can remember those days to uh, take a look at the book. You can download a sample. And I, I think you might, might enjoy it. And, uh, yeah. you know, I, I clearly enjoy writing because uh, it gives me a platform and allows me to express uh, ideas right. and, and reminiscences. And um, my own uh, autobiography sold, I think it's 1,200 books, which is not bad uh-huh. for a, you know, uh, it's not a, uh, I, I don't have a publisher and I don't have a, I'm, I'm my own publisher, you know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. it's not like somebody paid me half a million dollars to write a book. But if anyone would yeah. like to, <laughs> I, I'd be more than happy to sign up. Now, now when are you, you going to write a book? Me? Sure. People hear my, people hear my voice. Uh-huh. It's easier for me to do it this way. I have a, well, uh, you know, I think of all the stories that you've been associated with on this program and how right. you've affected people in various ways and think, you know, there, there's a, there's a book waiting to be written. When I oh, looked boy. at the, at the autobiography, I thought, how do I approach this? And I said, well, uh, chronologically, I guess, you know, start from day one and go forward. And I did. Um, and mm-hmm. I put down the, the second way I organized it was I made a list of all the people I had met, fairly you know, well-known people that I had met through the years in my political and legal career. And mm-hmm. I particularly highlighted those that I had an anecdote or two about. So I wove the chronological story into the anecdotal story and uh, it, it makes for an easy read. I, I used um, the same technique that Tim Russert used in his book about his dad, Big Russ. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but uh, mm-hmm. I actually knew, I knew Tim Russert when he worked in Albany. And so I, I took a chapter out of his uh, page out of his book and I, I think it's an easy read. And the um, the peanut the pants peanut your pants title uh, just quickly I'll tell you how that came about. When you write your autobiography, you think, "Who am I? Where did it all begin? And uh, right. what's it all about, Alfie?" You know. So I to mm-hmm. me, I, I had to go back to 1952, St. Mary's School, Oswego, New York, kindergarten class. Sister oh Stanislaus, God. we called her Sister Santa Claus, and <laughs> um, tall, stately nun, you know. And we'd, we'd enter in the classroom, and we didn't, we, 
didn't have individual desks. We sat at tables. So there was the the red table, the blue table, the green table, and the orange table. Now, if you sat at the red table, you were pretty much the bee's knees. But if you sat at the orange table, you were, no, you were the other side of the tracks. And, and we, as five-year-old kids, created our own social pecking order. And uh, so I, of course, always tried to be at the red table and preferably the first seat at the red table because then you're the you know the king of the king of the prom versus the uh, sitting across from the queen of the hop and mm-hmm. that went along very well except one day i peed my pants and so oh, sister boy. santa sister santa claus said stand behind the piano so i had to go behind the piano till my pants dried then she sat me at the orange table huh I was uh, just, you know, sister, I guess thank you for teaching me one of life's important lessons, and that is do not pee your pants or twisting it in a Kennedy-esque fashion. Pee not your pants because it's dry pants people who rule the world. And that's where the the title came from. (laughs) So how long did you, how long were you a disc jockey? About 10 years. You know, all through uh, high school and college and, and after college. And even after college, I would go back and do a, a St. Patrick's Day radio program live. Uh, and I did mm-hmm. that for probably 20 years. So there's still a lot of, uh, <clears throat> a lot of disc jockey left in me. I, I entertain my friends every once in a while, particularly at cocktail parties with uh, a little George Carlin routine that I remember wow. from years wow. ago. Remember George Carlin? Yeah. Bulletin, bulletin, bulletin. We interrupt this program for a bulletin, bulletin, bulletin. The sun did not come up this morning. Huge cracks have appeared in the Earth's surface, and big rocks are falling out of the sky. We'll have details 25 minutes from now on Action Central News. Wow. So you really enjoy radio. Yeah, yeah. I do. Yep. So actually our time is up. So John, can you um plug your book again? I can, and thank you for giving me the opportunity. The new book is called The Live Twenty Five in Hi Fi Jive. It's available on Amazon.com in either paperback or the Kindle ebook. Three ninety nine for the ebook, eight ninety nine for the paperback. Terrific. You've been uh, you've been listening to John Sullivan. This is Focus on Albany. I'm Cynthia Pooler. And if you like this show, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. John, there's gonna be many things coming down the pike and I'm sure you and I will have many <laughs> Many conversations. Thank you for well, being Well, I always, always enjoy the opportunity. Thank you, Cynthia. Thank you. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Have a great day. Take care. Bye.